Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that indeed he is our cornerstone. We've built our lives upon him. And Father, we thank you that we can depend upon him. We can depend upon you. Father, we recognize at times in this world we go through things and we struggle and sometimes we wonder where you are. But we know, Father, that you are immovable, you are immutable, you never change. Your love remains for us. And Father, I would pray specifically this morning for those who are struggling today. I pray, Father, for those who are struggling with relationships, uh, maybe even in their families. And Father, maybe relationships that were strained this last week. But Father, I would pray that you would just work in the hearts of each and every person within each and every family, Lord. To those that need to be drawn to you, that you would draw them to yourself. Father, we pray that you would help us to live our lives in a way that we forgive one another and we show your love to one another. Father, we pray for those who are experiencing sorrow this morning. You are the great comforter. We pray through your spirit that you would comfort each and every one who's in need of that. Father, we pray for those who are rejoicing this morning. We pray that they will rejoice in you and help us, Father, to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We thank you for the privilege that we have this morning to meet in your name. We thank you, Father, that as we meet here today, we live within a nation that is at peace. But we know, Father, there are struggles all around our world, Lord. And Father, we pray for wars that are ongoing, that you would bring them to an end. We pray, Father, this morning for those who are being held hostage, that, Lord, they might be freed. We pray, Father, that you would give guidance and direction to our political leaders. And we pray for those leaders, not only in our land, but in the nations around the world. May good conquer evil. May your name be praised. For this we pray in your name. Amen. Take your Bibles with me this morning or your electronic uh, devices and join me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, We're continuing our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we'll finish up that resurrection chapter, chapter 15. This series we've entitled as Course Correction, because there was a church that was off course, and it needed some correction in many things that were going on in this church. You know, I call the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians church primers on church problems. Because pretty much any problem you can think of that could be in the church happened to be in the church at Corinth. And the Apostle Paul deals with questions that they had, and the Apostle Paul talks here about the resurrection. Because remember, there were some within the church 
who were denying that Jesus had arose from the dead, and some that were denying that there even was a bodily resurrection. And we're right in the midst of the Apostle Paul dealing with this great subject of the resurrection. And this morning we come to the end of chapter 15, which I've entitled Victory. Victory. Winston Churchill, very famous political leader and prime minister in England, planned his own funeral before he died. His wishes called for a bugler positioned high in the dome of St. Paul's to play taps after the benediction. The taps were meant to represent that this physical life was over. But then came the most dramatic turn. As soon as the taps was finished, another bugler placed on the other side of the great dome started playing the notes of reveille. It's time to get up, it's time to get up, it's time to get up in the morning. At the end of history, the last note will not be taps that it's all over, but it will be reveille. And Winston Churchill wanted his funeral to make that statement very clearly. Well, as we come to the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 80, we are going to see, first of all, that we need to understand a mystery. Understand a mystery. Follow with me, beginning with verse 50. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. Understand a mystery. As Paul is continuing to talk, he's making it clear to us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We live in this world now in a body that is made of flesh and blood. We are given bodies that can live in this environment. When we move into a new environment, into the kingdom of Christ, we need bodies that are fit for that 
kingdom. We talked about that last week. We're just, Paul is just continuing that thought as he goes on. And then he says in verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. Now we need to understand what does the biblical term mystery mean? A mystery is something that was not previously understood, but is now being revealed. When Paul says, I tell you a mystery, he is talking about a truth. It was not understood in the Old Testament. It was not understood until this time, but now he is revealing it. So whenever you're reading in the New Testament and you come across that term mystery, understand something new is being revealed. You can clearly see that in Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul talks about the mystery of the church, how it is a mystery that Jews and Gentiles will be put together into the same body. And Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 3 how God has revealed that to him. Now the things we are about to talk about here are things that were not understood before. And it has to do here with the resurrection of the resurrection body. I show you a mystery. Here's some new truth. Okay, what does he say concerning what is this mystery? We shall all be changed. Remember last week, if you were here in the question and answer, one of the questions that would ask was related to what about those who are raptured? Because you'll remember Paul has said, in order to get the resurrection body, in order to be resurrected, you had to die. Well, those of us who are alive, when the rapture occurs, we will get our new bodies, but we will get it through being translated by Christ. We're not going to die at that moment, but we are going to be translated and give us, we're going to be given our new bodies. Look at what Paul says. He says, we shall not all sleep. Right, sleep is used to represent death. In the New Testament, that is used as a, a picture of death for believers because it's not something that we need to fear. And we're going to see that as we work through this passage. For believers, death is no more than like sleep here. We close our eyes and then we awaken. And so we shall not all sleep. Not all believers are going to die. There is going to be a generation of believers that will be alive when Jesus returns. We shall not all sleep. This is the mystery. You're not all going to die. Some of you are going to be alive when Jesus returns. And oh, how we wouldn't like that to be our generation, right? I mean, yeah, I'll just be honest with you. That's how I prefer to go. I prefer to just be walking along and just be taken right up into heaven and not to go through that whole process of death. That is going to happen to a generation of people. We see a picture of that in the Old Testament. Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. 
So one day, oh, he knocks, he's just walking along, and God says, he's communing with God, he's talking to him, and God says, hey, why don't you just come on up here? <laughs> That's going to happen to a whole generation of, of people. When the last person gets saved that makes up the body of Christ, when the church is complete, Jesus is going to say, come on up here. And I hope that happens in my lifetime, that that occurs. It could happen right now. Hey, this message isn't quite that good, so you wouldn't miss that much if God just took us all home right at this moment. I, I, I laugh sometimes whenever Barb and I are going on vacation, one of the things she will say to me is she'll say, you know, I really hope if the rapture happens, it happens on our way home, not on our way on vacation, because I don't want to miss my vacation. Okay, so, we shall not all sleep, but we will all, whether we're asleep, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the sky. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm asked the question, why do the dead in Christ get to be risen first? And the best answer I can come up with is because most of them are six feet under, and so they need a head start to, to get up there. Because this is all going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. Now, there's been a lot of debate uh, among Bible teachers as to what does Paul mean when he says, at the last trumpet. And they take it and they try to line it up with the trumpets that are in the book of Revelation. And I don't think the way that Paul is using this term here as the last trumpet, that it lines up with any of the trumpets that we find in the book of Revelation, except for the one at the beginning of chapter 4, where there is that trumpet sound that takes place there. Some people will say, well, that's not the last trumpet uh, and so people try to take in place the rapture of the church at the midpoint of the tribulation or at the end point of the tribulation based on other passages of Scripture and come back to this and says, well, Paul says it'll happen at the last trumpet. I believe the last trumpet, as Paul is using it, is like a figure of, of speech. And it comes from the Roman military that would be understood. When the Roman military broke camp, they would have three trumpets. The first trumpet would mean to uh, put up your tents and prepare to leave. The second trumpet meant to fall into line. The third, and what they would call the last trumpet, meant let's march away. I think this last trumpet here describes the Christian's marching orders at the rapture of the church. We are being taken away. This will happen at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. We have to be changed. We have to have bodies suitable for the kingdom. We'll be changed in a moment. For this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body, the immortality, because we are never going to die. We're given new bodies that will never die. And when this occurs, Paul tells us what's going to come to pass is that which is written that says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now, when Paul is saying, first of all, that this mortal body cannot inherit the kingdom. We need to put on immortality. This perishable body must put on that which is imperishable. Remember, he says from last week, we're not talking about a body that is not material. We will be changed, but we will still have a material body. Remember, we said two mistakes that are made about our future bodies is one is that they have no resemblance to this body. Yes, it will be this body. The other mistake that is made is it is just like this body. And the answer to that, no, it is not just like this body. It has to be different. Same body, but this body made different. Now, Paul says... When the moment comes of the resurrection and the translation of when we are taken to be with Christ, death loses its victory and its sting. And he quotes two passages from the Old Testament. He quotes, first of all, Isaiah 25.8. In Isaiah 25.8, it says this, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. The other passage that he's quoting is from Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, which says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death! Where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. So we will be changed, and death loses its victory and sting. Paul says that death will be swallowed up. Remember, Paul has said earlier that the last enemy to be defeated is what? Death is the last enemy to be defeated. And death will be swallowed. Uh, that word swallow literally means to drink down, to swallow up completely. It's also used to mean to devour, to cause something to pass through the mouth and into the stomach, to gulp it down. Figuratively, it means to cause the complete and sudden destruction of someone or something. Death is going to be totally and completely destroyed. 
O death, where is your victory? Death loses. Satan loses. God is victorious. He is victorious over death. And it's almost like Paul is joining the Old Testament prophet to mock death. It's almost like Paul is just saying, you know, hey, I'm going to throw this out there to you. Oh, death. Oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, grave. Where is your sting? Where's your victory? Oh, death. Death becomes a defeated enemy. Matter of fact, death is already defeated because Christ defeated it upon the cross. So if Christ defeated it, where is death's sting right now? Death's sting is still around because even as believers, we have to go through physical death. That is the sting of death. That is the sting that comes to us. It stings, it hurts for us to die. Now, in the complete scope of things, actually it's just momentary momentary pain for us because we are absent from the body in what? Present with the Lord. But there is still a sting that comes with death. But that sting is going to be removed. At the point that Christ returns, at the point of the resurrection, at the point of the translation of the saints, that sting of death is removed for us. Because there is complete victory that is in Christ. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Recognizing that, in verse 57, Paul then gives thanks. Look at what he says. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We win. We win. Unlike yesterday in the Ohio State game that you guys were watching, and as they were going down the field, the anticipation was building up, wasn't it? Yes, there's going to be this surprise inning, and we're going to win. But guess what happened? We didn't. We lost. Now, you Michigan fans, you're here going to say, we win, we win. See, there's no Michigan fans here. You can see that. We won. We, <laughs> <that's> a, 
We won. That's right. That's right. There's a re we rejoice with those who rejoice, <laughs> and we mourn with those who mourn. And I think there's more mourning than rejoicing here today over this. Okay, but you know what? There is joy in victory, isn't there? And I'm thinking something much more important than just a football game. Christ wins the victory. He gives to us the victory. We win. Death is defeated. As we have given thanks to God this last week, celebrating on the day of thanksgiving, we give thanks to God foremost and utmost for the fact that we have a Savior. And through that Savior, we have victory over we win. Give thanks to God. But then Paul, because he always wants truth that we learn to be practical, then talks about what we should do because we win, because we are victorious, and that is we should work for the Lord. Look at verse 58. Therefore, summing this up, Talking about the resurrection, talking about the truth of the resurrection, he says, therefore, because of this, my beloved brothers, Paul is talking to those in Corinth as his brothers and as his sisters in Christ. As believers in Christ, we are all a big family. We are all a part of the body of Christ. Beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Be steadfast. Stand firm in what you believe. Remember, there were some in Corinth denying the resurrection. Stand firm in the truth. Be immovable on the truth. And friends, may I say to you this morning, that's a very relevant message for us in the culture that we're living in. We need to stand firm and be immovable on the truths of God's word. What this book teaches is not up for negotiation. What this book teaches is not up to be changed based on our feelings or based on the whims of our culture. When God has said that something is true, when we can say this is what God says, we must be immovable and stand firm upon those truths. You know, we have brothers and sisters around the world right now who are suffering persecution and oppression if they are willing to stand up for what the Word of God has to say. My friends, may that always be the case here at Maranatha Bible Church, that we will be steadfast and immovable when it comes to the truth of God. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. The Lord is still at work 
You may wonder that sometimes when you look at what's going on. The Lord is still at work, and God works through his people, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When you work for the Lord, when you work in the Lord, you are not working for something that amounts to nothing. It is never in vain. God's word never returns to him void. It always accomplishes its purpose. Whatever giftedness God has given to us to use, we never use those gifts in vain. They always accomplish the purpose that God has designed within his body when his body is using the gifts that God has given to them for his glory. So I would ask you just very bluntly and very plainly, what is the work that you're doing for the Lord? Not just what you're taking in, but what are you putting out? What is your spiritual gift? How has God gifted you to work for him and to serve him? You have a gift. Every believer has a gift. Use those for the Lord. Now, as we look over this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see five truths that will summarize Paul's teaching on the resurrection. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundational truth of Christianity. This is non-negotiable. Remember, as Paul addresses the resurrection, he begins by making a clear statement about the gospel. That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says this is the gospel by which we are saved. This is what we must believe in order to be saved, and we are saved when we embrace this unless we have believed in vain or in emptiness. This is non-negotiable. There's no other way for people to be saved. You can't alter this message. You can't deny the resurrection. Paul is making it very clear. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is non-negotiable. People will either be saved because they believe this gospel or they will be lost. You know, I hope I'm not speaking to anyone this morning that has rejected the gospel. I hope I'm not speaking to anyone here this morning who's refusing to accept the gospel. Because there's no other way for you to be saved. Everyone in this room is going to spend eternity somewhere. And there's only one way for us to have entrance into that kingdom of Christ. And that is through embracing and accepting the gospel. And if you haven't done that, I ask you, why not? 
What's keeping you from embracing the truth? This is a non-negotiable truth. This is the essence of Christianity. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Number two, our resurrection depends entirely on his. If Christ is not risen, we will not be risen. If Jesus just faked his resurrection, as some people claim, then there is no hope for any of us. If he is not risen, we will not be risen. Truth number three, our resurrection bodies will be radically different from our present bodies, yet intimately related to them. They'll be radically different, and yet they will be related to the same body. Number four, when Christ returns, both living and dead Christians will receive their resurrection bodies and death will finally be defeated. And truth number five, these truths ought to encourage us to stand firm and serve God joyfully, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we serve a risen Savior. And we would pray, Lord, that you would help us that we might stand firm upon these truths, never compromising them. Help us, Lord, to faithfully serve you. And Father, we pray now that as we go into a time of celebrating together the Lord's Supper, that we might remember, might remember what Jesus has done for us upon the cross. For this we pray in our Savior's name. Amen.